0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the 94 Feet Report NBA Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, as always, Eric Spropolis. You can follow me on Twitter, at Eric Spiros NBA. We're finally back with an episode we've been pretty sporadic throughout uh, the the new year, I guess, 2018, even though it's almost the end of March. It's Sunday, March 25th we're recording this at 10.54 p.m. Eastern time, so most of the games are done for the night. Uh, But we're not talking about games that are happening this week or next week or whatever. We are doing... I think this is going to be our first ever mailbag episode on the show, so pretty exciting time. So uh, let's get Corbin in. Corbin, how are you doing
1: tonight? Hey, I'm doing pretty good, Eric. I'm excited. Mailbag time. You know, I love listening to on other pods. And now we get our own, and we got some pretty good questions out here.
0: Yeah, we, I'm pleasantly surprised by our uh, Twitter followers. They, they, they came in the clutch with these questions right now. They're going to give us a lot to talk about. Um, so let's dive right in with the first question from uh, someone we're both very familiar with, Alex West, of course, writer, editor. <laughs> Uh, podcast host of the uh, and one podcast of course the producer behind our youtube show the swing men which you can check out on our 94 feet report youtube channel but alex asked would you rather have damian lillard or russell westbrook as your point guard for a playoff series corbin i'll let you uh take the reins on this very very interesting question
1: <laughs> it really is eric and i i at first, I went just off my gut, and I said, you know, I, of course I choose Westbrook because the passion is fire, the ferocity, you know, the constant pressure he puts on the defensive end. And then, as I looked at some stats and, and, and kind of reevaluated it, I thought, you know, Damian Lillard, just as clutch. We all remember that, that clutch shot he hit against the Rockets a couple years ago in the playoffs. You know, a good shooter. Um, he, he, he feels, in my opinion, more in control of the game at certain points than Westbrook. Westbrook can dominate portions, but Lillard plays— more or less steady, you know, in the playoffs, in my opinion. And I looked up some stats and was trying to see, hey, you know, I'm going to let the head-to-head comparisons, you know, decide the matchup here. And I was pleasantly surprised by how close those two are. Even though Westbrook obviously has played 10 seasons to Lillard six, and so, you know, it's been in the playoffs a little bit longer, they both are about 25 points a game, um, four and six assists per game, five and – or four and – six rebounds a game, five and seven assists per game. And ultimately, I, I just took it I just took Westbrook because I figured, you know, we all make fun of his triple doubles and everything. And, and and of course some of that is just the way the team is set schematically to let him get some of those boards. And some of that's him rebound hunting at the expense of, you know, closing out on a half decent shooter or or, or something of that matter. But all in all, I trust Westbrook more with with talent that is let's say inferior I mean, he outside of this year, and he's had, you know, they had a less than um, stellar year with Paul George's sidekick, you know, trying to get all the mesh. But without Kevin Durant, that last year's playoff team, I thought was almost reminiscent of a 2001-76ers team with Allen Iverson. Not that the players were less talented. If anything, they were obviously more talented. But they were all meant to support Russell. And he had the reign of shots and everything, but you really didn't have another person to rely on that sense. And so I thought... If you were to sub out Russell Westbrook with Damian Lillard, would the Oklahoma City Thunder of 2016-2017 be as good a team? And even though they flamed out really quickly in five games, I'm just saying how proficient that they were in the games that they played. And I I, I went with Westbrook. I just figured they're really close. They both are surprisingly inefficient when you look at some numbers, although they can really get hot and Lillard is a better shooter. But I just like Westbrook's all-around game. And that's almost damning with faint praise with – you know, some of the attention he gets for the triple-doubles, but I still think that consummates some of them as a, as a player. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, so th- this is such a fascinating question. I'm so happy that we're starting off the, the podcast with it because in terms of – it depends really a lot on your team. So you mentioned Westbrook kind of carrying, you know, pretty mediocre talent like last year's Thunder team. That That mm-hmm. is what happens if you have a mediocre team and you want to say, hey, we've got this – Okay, talent. No real, even no real, even good number two option. You got some nice pieces here or there, um, but we need someone to come in here and, and carry us to the playoffs. Carry us to, uh, you know, they had forty-seven wins last year. I think Westbrook's more of the player to do that. Now you could say that he'll do that at the expense of improving the other players around him, but they will. He will be able to carry them if he's having the season like he did last year, um, which is one of the best seasons he's had in his career, if not the best. Uh, he can carry more mediocre talent, I think, to a to a higher ceiling. I guess I'd say. Um, overall, though, if I'm looking for a, a player who's in control, like you said, who can just get hot, who is having a better defensive season than Westbrook is this year, I think I'm going to take Damian Lillard. And I think that I think that you you know we had those comments from the Warriors. I think it was either earlier this year or, or maybe even last year where they said that they actually kind of like playing against Westbrook because they they can kind of Like, guard him to play into his style where it's just him, and that can kind of, you know, be at the expense of his teammates getting comfortable in the game or getting good shots or, you know, trying to insert their presence in the game. The Warriors made those comments, I think, for a reason, because I think there is a way where you can kind of make Westbrook almost shoot himself or shoot his team in the foot by playing his play style. You know, last year, obviously, that team was devoid of a lot of talent, especially offensively. But there were a lot of games, you know. I think it was, like, Game 2, and then, I think, ultimately, Game 5, the elimination game, where he just kind of went kind of crazy in the second half just shooting himself and the team out of the game um just attempting just ridiculous jumpers and i'm not saying that's gonna happen again moving forward i think that that last year was kind of a weird weird special season for him and and the thunder and a weird transition season and i think he did a great job carrying that talent to 47 wins and they were really competitive in that first round they lost in five but almost every single game besides game one was close like until the final you know four or five minutes of the game um So that's why I'm very interested to see how Russ plays in this year's playoffs because, you know, it's not him anymore. Now he's got Paul George, who's a very good number two option and someone we're going to talk about a little bit more in depth in a a later question in the show. And, you know, as much as Carmelo Anthony has looked really poor this season, especially today against the Blazers, he will will be a player that Billy Donovan and just Melo himself will have to and want to get shots in the playoffs as well. So that's that's two other key guys that are going to want their shots in the playoffs, along with You know, making sure Stephen Adams is still engaged by giving him some shots, giving him some dunks and, and some easy looks there. I'm very interested to see how Russ plays in this year's playoffs with this new team around him um, and with another all-star around him. But I just think that Damian Lillard's ability to get hot... His consistency, his control of the game—it never really seems like he's gonna. It never really seems like he's out of control. Like obviously, we have those moments where Westbrook Westbrook kind of gets out of control, goes crazy—you know, goes for some crazy dunks or layups, misses them, kind of gets a little (laughs) bit disengaged. Lillard very rarely has those moments, Um, and I think that because he's been better than Westbrook this season. You know, if you look at most of the advanced numbers, um, and you know the Blazers having a better season, and Lillard—you know, Lillard since the All Star break has just been incredible, like top. You know, top five player level. That's how good he's been since the All Star break. Really, Um, I think ultimately I'm going to go with Lillard for that control that he has in in the you know in the playoffs or just his game overall. Um, And the fact that Westbrook, while could be more dynamic and can carry mediocre talent to a higher ceiling or more success overall potentially in the regular season. I think that you know his his play style as the number one option if he's kind of in this you know Westbrook mentality has a really. Limited ceiling in terms of your team's success overall moving forward. While Lillard, I think, can play a little bit more inside the game, let the game come to him, um, you know, and have more control. So ultimately, I do think I'm going to go with Damian Lillard on this one.
1: I, I aggressively have to agree with you. As much as I love Westbrook, and you just swayed me just now because I was thinking when he is a, when he is in the flow of the game, he's mad efficient. He gets to his spots. He mm-hmm. uses that nuclear athleticism to, to force the issue, you know, within reason, but it isn't out of control or the ill advised heat check three when you were two for five in the game and didn't really have a reason to shoot that. You know, things of that nature. So I, I get you. I just feel like in that certain way, Lillard's way of letting the game to come to him is almost passive in the in a way. Not that he's a passive player by any stretch. He really isn't. And he's dynamic and he you know, he takes the game over in spots, obviously. But when he's not having a really good shooting night, and and, and, and at the point where, you know, Westbrook, I guess not to his credit, but Westbrook will keep shooting. If Lillard's like let's say three for twelve or three for thirteen or something of that of that nature, six for twenty one, he'll get to those games and then you'll see him kind of defer just a little bit, in my opinion. Whereas Westbrook, for better or worse, will keep shooting and I think as as being that you know, the the team knows there's like a hierarchy as to where the game goes. I think the Trailblazers have that with Lillard where he's like the main guy. Him and to a lesser extent CJ McCollum are, are the two headed monsters for the Trailblazers, but I think Having that one leader, hey, we're going to live or fall by him. And they have the highs and highs of Westbrook. You know, think of last year with Denver, the triple-double, the game-inning three, and then the lowest of lows, you know, the playoffs where he would just fizzle out and and the team would fall to pieces around him, you know, but – you made a good point. I, I got to go with it. We'll go with Lillard. <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean, and also Lillard has those those moments where he shoots kind of absurd shots because, you know, maybe he's hit a couple threes before earlier in that quarter. Maybe he just thinks, you know, it's crunch time, which means it's damn time, so I've got to shoot this ridiculous <laughs> three or something like that. Like, there were some moments in today's game against, you know, the ironically the Thunder and Blazers just played today. But there were You're some okay. moments today where, like, Lillard, you know, did not hesitate at all. Like, one moment I think with, like, f- about four or five minutes left, he— gotten a rebound that bounced out to him near the free throw line. He just turned around instantly and shot a fadeaway jumper. It didn't go in. And that was, you know, off an offensive rebound where they would have had a full, you know, reset of the shot clock. But then on the other hand, there was another play kind of, I think under a minute left where there was like a scramble for the ball and he ends up with the ball in the the corner and just – Instantly, no hesitation, shoots a three and hits it, which is an extremely clutch shot. So it's like Lillard has those moments too where he kind of just shoots a shot that you're like, no, 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 oh, you hit it. Okay, good. Like he, <laughs> has, he has so many more of those ones and Westbrook has them too. Um, I just think Lillard's control of the game and letting it come to him and not being able to be, you can't really play Lillard into shooting himself or his team in the foot or out of a game. Like I think you can on some occasions with Westbrook. So ultimately I think I'm going to go with Lillard.
1: Very true, very true. Actually, just looking at the stat line for both of the point guards tonight was hilarious because although Lillard had 24.7 rebounds and 5 assists and Westbrook had 23 points, eight rebounds and 9 assists, Lillard went 6 for 19 from the field and 1 for 7 from 3. And then Westbrook went 9 for 20 from the field. He only took two threes and made one. But both the great inefficient shooting, you know, and the stat piling up. The only problem is that Westbrook was a minus 2, And Lilith was a plus 16. So I guess there you go. (laughs) Yeah. All right, all right. Well, it seems like we have more, obviously. So I'm going to get to the next question here by Baharath at Bobby Flabin. Do you look at the Pelican success without Boogie and say, wow, they'd be unstoppable with him? Or maybe he's not as valuable as we thought. Basically, the $200 million question. (laughs) So I'm going to hand this over to you, Eric, see what you think about it.
0: Yeah, this is, this is a very interesting situation in New Orleans. I mean, on the one hand, DeMarcus Cousins is an extreme talent. I mean, one of the best centers in the league, for sure. I, offensively, you know, the fact that he's been able to add a consistent three-point shot is huge. He can just take over a game. You know, I don't want to talk about his defense just yet. But offensively, I mean, he is one of the best centers in the league. But on the other hand, the Pels are doing this without him, and it's mainly due to one, you know, improved play from secondary pieces like Drew Holiday, which, of course, you can't blame Cousins for. You know, it's not like Cousins goes down and Holiday just automatically starts playing like a near all-star level. Um, but two, the second and more perhaps more important part of this run is that they're playing Anthony Davis at center for significant stretches, which, of course, they don't do with Cousins there. Um, they have Mecca Okafor, who's been nice for them. But there are more times where Davis plays at center, which a lot of people think is probably his best position um, just because how many centers can actually guard him. And the fact that, you know, if you put him at center, you can get more shooting on the floor, which they have now with Nikola Miritich, um, who they acquired for a trade. Um, but let's not forget, I think that people automatically look at this run and say, oh, you know, is Cousins, you know, not as valuable as we thought? Maybe Cousins Cousins, just a born loser, and, you know, when he goes down, the team does better? Well, let's not forget that, you know, up leading up to and including the game in which Cousins got hurt against the Rockets, the Pelicans were playing well with him. They were 8-2 in their last 10 games um, before that cousin's injury. So it's not like they were under five hundred and now they've gone on this insane run to to get into the top six seeds of the playoffs. They were playing well without with him, and he goes down. you know, what happens if he doesn't go down? They can continue that hot streak and, you know, go on another like five game winning streak, and then all of a sudden, they're in, in a similar position with cousins as they are without him. So I'm not sure that you can automatically look at this and say, you know what? It's cousins, it's cousins, it's cousins. But I think that, with Cousins, their ceiling is higher just because, you know, he can take over games when Anthony Davis is having an off night, which does happen from time to time. He has he has pretty high variance for, you know, a superstar player. Um, mm-hmm. But I think there's also that underlying thing where it just – having Cousins prevents you from playing Anthony Davis at what I think is his best position and, you know, most valuable position for the team because they can get more shooting around him, which they obviously have lacked in recent years. Um, of course, there have been guys like Darius Miller who have done well this season as well. Um, so – it's just so hard to kind of get into a a final answer here. I think that, you know, despite Cousins being a little bit overrated in my opinion, due to you know his pretty bad, like his defense was bad this season before he got hurt. I'm not sure if it's because of the offensive load or he's just not as engaged as much. But you know, he's still incredible offensively. Obviously, we'll have to see how he is when he comes back from the injury, because that's a whole other thing. If he's not, if he can't reach that level again of what he was playing at, and he cramps Davis from playing at center, that could be a huge concern. But you know, because I think that they were playing well with him as well, and because of the fact that he if he gets back to the anywhere close to the level he was playing at this season or in recent seasons, he raises their ceiling, he raises their ceiling that much more than if you didn't have him. Uh, I mean, like, come on. I, I mean, Emeka Okafor is like a nice player for like 10 to 15 minutes a night, but imagine if you had DeMarcus Cousins there. I, I, I highly doubt that the Pelicans would be seriously struggling with Cousins there. He's just that much of a talented player. So ultimately, I think I'm in the, wow, they'd be unstoppable with him crowd for now. I just want to have it like a wait and see situation where I'll 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 say that as my answer now. But if he comes back and he's rusty or he's not as in shape or he's not as engaged and he still prevents Anthony Davis from playing center, then there could be some concerns for New Orleans. But ultimately, I think that I'm still in the wow, they'd be
1: unstoppable with Cousins crowd for now. I agree with you completely with that. I think if the it's more on the Pelicans. I feel with the personnel surrounding those two, you know, you have two twin towers in effect. They can shoot inside, they can shoot outside. The, the ideal way to surround them with talent would be to surround them with shooters and playmakers to, to play along with them, almost of a George Hill type or maybe a Jameer Nelson, not this year the past year, but, you know, of years past type of player where they can bring the ball up, they can set up the offense, get them into their offense and, and shoot a pretty good percent from outside, keeping space for the two to go to work. Um, I, I, I agree with you with the DeMarcus Cousins center issue as far as anthony davis that being his better position however i also would like to make a case anthony davis you know has said you know on a a few occasions he prefers to play um that he doesn't prefer to play center so although it is the best position for him obviously if you're the player and you're saying "Well, i'm not going to do it as as personnel you know almost as if carmelo resisting to play power forward even though that's his best position as well as coming off the bench or or you know he does it now because of of the way the team is set up personal personnel wise, but he would rather be small forward or LeBron with that whole thing. I think certain players just have that, Oh, I'm this player. I'm that player, you know, and that's where they want to be. And so I think with that being said, that DeMarcus Cousins could play uh, uh, alongside him and just kind of switch it up just a bit where, okay. Cause remember DeMarcus Cousins did play power forward way back in 2010-2011 alongside Sammy D'Alembert. And although that team did suck, I'm just remembering, and you know it wasn't the ideal situation, Um, he had enough of, of a mid-range jumper, and the game is so much changed back then, wow, from then to now. But he had enough of a mid-range jumper and enough bounce off to get the ball off the catch to attack the, the rack that it wasn't that big a deal, even though they weren't really competing for anything. So, uh, all that to say that I want the markets to come back. I think that the recent stretch of games that the Pelicans have had, in that torch, toward, toward run that Anthony Davis did, was more credit to him than anything against DeMarcus. And you saw the way they played together. They were both in the top five in scoring. Um, yeah, top. They were top ten in scoring, top five in rebounding. And for the year, Cousins finishes with 25 points, 12 rebounds, almost 13 rebounds, and about five and a half assists. On 47% shooting from the field and 35% from three, and you really saw the chemistry between those two. You know, the 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 half court set alley that Demarcus would feed Anthony Davis, or you know, the pick and pops they'd run with each other, the pick and roll. It was just, it was crazy, you know. And I think if they run it back, you know, we have to wait and see how Demarcus comes back. But you have to sign him first. So I say throw the max at him because kind of what he's going to demand. Hopefully, he comes back a, a relative. Um, a relative shape of what he was, and then surround him with better, surround him with better supporting talent, and see what happens. You already have um, Nikola Mirotic; he's a really good. He come off the bench to stretch four, kind of open up things just a bit, and and just see what happens. But but I'm with you. I think that um he's just too good of a talent to say oh that the Pelicans better without him. It's not that big a variance with him on the court and him off the court that oh my God they're playing so much better. Maybe they don't need him. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, and my final thing about this is that I think that there's a way for Cousins to come back. And with Miritich in the rotation now, they can have a, a three big rotation where Cousins and Davis start off the game, Davis at the four, Cousins at the center. And then Cousins can get subbed out early, kind of like what the Rockets do with Chris Paul and James Harden. They, they stagger the stars. So Cousins subs out early, Miritich enters as a power forward, Anthony Davis moves over to center, and then Anthony Davis is taken out for Cousins. And then you know keep that cycle going. I think that that's a way for you can get some minutes with Anthony Davis at center and Miritich spacing the floor next him, which I think is great for the Pelicans. Um, and then you still get that Davis Cousins connection as well. Um, and you can mix it up. Cousins can play with Miritich as well. Drew Holiday, if he can continue playing like this, you know next season, if they're all together, maybe you know sign some other smaller minimum guys in the in the offseason. Darius Miller has been nice for them this year as well. Solomon Hill maybe coming coming back from injury, being fully healthy could be nice for them. There is a way. For it to work with Cousins and, and to work really well, while still getting Anthony Davis some minutes at center, which is I think I think is important in this situation. But it's nice that yeah, we agree. It's it's not because of Cousins. It's it's just because they've done a great one because Anthony Davis has been playing out of his mind. Drew Holiday's been much better. um much better shooting, floor spacing. Rondo's been nice for, for, for moments for them as well. So mm-hmm. ultimately, you know, we agree. It, it, they'd be they'd be unstoppable with him. Is our final answer. Um,
1: <laughs> there we
0: go. We'll move on to a question from uh, Austin Hutchinson of, of someone I'm very familiar with. Um, his question is: At this point, what's more likely? Toronto coming out of the East or Houston coming out of the West? Uh, I'll just take this one quickly and then I'll swing it to you. I'm I'm still going with the Raptors. I just think that. I think it's mainly because the East is weaker overall. You got you look at the Celtics; they're really banged up. Uh, Kyrie Irving is probably gonna you know maybe come back from the first round. Who knows if he's a hundred percent by the second round um, or even the third? You know the conference finals if they make it there. The Cavs obviously have LeBron James. Never, never bet against LeBron until it actually happens. But they, they've also too been really hit or miss. Obviously defensively, they've been pretty bad for most of the season. Um, they've been dealing with their own injuries, um, so they're not they're not the Cavs of previous seasons where you're like, no way can someone beat them. They're a Cavs team where you look at the Raptors and say, you know what, if the Raptors are healthy and playing well, and you know their bench has been playing. If their bench continues to play as well as has been this season, there's you look at the Raptors. You could say, you know what, they could probably they could beat the Cavs if things line up for them. It, it's not a it's not a such a strong Cavs team like years past when you're like, okay, no one's going to beat the Cavs. Um, and then you have other teams like the Sixers and Pacers who you know just are not ready to contend. Like the Sixers are a dark horse, I think, to win a series and maybe you know pull off an upset or um, you know if they get the four C, just continue on to the second round. But I, I don't think that they're seriously ready to contend in terms of knocking off a team like the Raptors and obviously other teams in the playoffs, like the Bucks and Heat have their serious flaws. The Wizards have been kind of in a tailspin recently. So I think that because the East is just overall weaker conference, um, you know, from one to eight, um, I'm going to go with the Raptors, you know, even though the Warriors are really, really banged up, if they're healthy for the Western Conference finals, they're going to be heavy heavy favorites to beat the Rockets who, you know, could also be worn out by playing teams like Portland or the Thunder or the Spurs or even the Jazz in the first round. That could happen as well. So just because of the fact that the the rest is so strong one through eight, that the Rockets will probably be banged up and tired just even getting to the conference finals, where they're probably gonna run into the juggernaut that is the Golden State Warriors who will who will probably be at full strength because they're gonna make sure they're healthy at that time. So because the East is weaker overall in terms of both one through eight and, you know, seeds two and three behind the Raptors, I think that I'll still go, it's more likely that the Raptors come out of the East than the Rockets coming out of the West.
1: Okay, I'm gonna have to disagree with you there. Um, you know I never bet on LeBron, but that that's there's a period after that. No no but, nothing. <laughs> don't bet against LeBron. Um also I'm I'm a little more worried about Golden State. This is the the four years now, deep playoff runs. You know, Seth Curry's been banged up the last couple of weeks. Um, we just heard today Steve Curry basically said, Hey, forget him in the first round. You know, they should get Durant back, um, I hear as early as this upcoming week. And then Thompson apparently is coming along well and Green was just out with the flu, but this this the the Warriors look a little thinner in my opinion. Andre Godal has had a down season. Sean Livingston just as much. David West has played surprisingly well, but I don't expect that to be, you know, a consistent um you know, source of offense on that end and on defense, he can obviously get exposed. I think that there is a chance that, especially with the way the Rockets have been rolling, and they've just and you you know better than anyone, they've been playing extremely well, that after a certain point in time, especially with home court advantage, what it seems like between the two of them. I think that in their sky high confidence right now, and let's say they breeze through some of these playoff rounds. In Golden State, you know, without having Steph Curry, they're gonna, they're already gonna have, they're still gonna dispatch the teams they're gonna play, in my opinion. But the West is tougher, and it's gonna be just a little more, a little more work, a little bit longer. And I think that is gonna make the difference. Also, Toronto, on the East, I like them. And yes, it, it's very much different up there. <laughs> you already mentioned the teams that are just happy to be there, as far as being in the playoffs, maybe get a playoff. Winner or two maybe get a series Um, the Celtics obviously banged up we don't really know how Kyrie's going to be as soon as he comes back if that knee's going to flare up again you know how effective he will be at but i i do not LeBron is just owned the east eating his lunch there you know made his home it didn't matter if he had a rough day at job, or if, you know, dinner wasn't ready, or, you know, the ups and downs, his hurt, and, and you can bring all these excuses, up, excuses, and, and, I mean, it's stuff that goes up during the year, you know, LeBron lives in turmoil as far as, he never has, like, a smooth season where we're like, oh, yeah, and there's LeBron in the East, you know, there's always something, yet he always comes through, and in the playoff time, we all end up going, well, hmm, I guess this wasn't the year, you know, and so that's why I'm, I'm going to go with the Cast. I, I mean, I'm going to go with the Rockets, I think that they're going to have a, a easier, and this is relative, time getting out of the West than I think Toronto. Well, I could see Toronto up for an upset. And then everything that we said last year about them will come back, even with this new offense and, and the new young bench they've had. And everything that that has honestly happened. But it's LeBron, man, and I, I don't I don't like to cross that bridge too much. <laughs>
0: it's funny because as much as I believe in the uh, don't bet against LeBron uh, rule and kind of camp, I, I kind of firmly believe entrench myself in that camp as well. I think uh, I almost have another rule, which is don't don't bet against the Warriors if healthy because they are... I mean, this team is something we've never really seen before. Just the four all-stars when they're healthy, the way, the way they click, uh, the way they can be dominant on both ends of the floor whenever they want to. They have small ball lineups. They can put the traditional center lineups. I mean, I think that there are two rules here. One's don't bet against LeBron. One's don't bet against the Warriors, and, you know, it's possible that both of those aren't broken. It, we could see another Cavs-Warriors matchup, but it, it feels like there are cracks in both of those rules this year, and I, I'm very interested to see which which cracks lead to is a full-on break, breakage. Breakage? Is that is that a word? Uh, I, I, I see. Uh, <laughs> I, I get what you're going for. Yeah, of that rule. So it, it'll be interesting to see. I'm going with Raptors, but you are going with the Rockets coming out of the West.
1: Yep. Yep. All right. <laughs> we got that squared away. Now we have another one from Justin Carter. Do y'all buy Josh Jackson's recent stretch of games? Um, First, I have another one to add to that. Eric, you've been watching the Suns lately?
0: I have very rarely watched the Suns intently.
1: Okay. Being in Arizona, I've watched a little bit more than I should. <laughs> but I'm sure Justin shares the same pain. Um, I'm going to hit this one first and then bounce it back to you. I don't. I think, you know, he's had more minutes more opportunity. He's definitely taking more shots. I'm looking at his last five games, um, starting from the 15th um, with the Jazz. You know, 6 of 11, then 14 for 23, then 6 for 19, then 8 for 20, then 6 for 17. And the minutes have been all in the high 20s to up to 40 against the Magic. And, you know, with, with I feel with more of an opportunity, you know, you've had Devin Booker down. You don't really have – TJ Warren's been down. There, haven't, there hasn't really been another consistent source of offense or anyone else who could really create offense. Dragon Bender just seems reluctant to shoot. Um, you know, um, the point guard l for Payton has been he, – he's been okay, actually, but he's cooled down from his hot start. They're, they're, someone has to take the shots, and Josh Jackson's been that guy. And although he's had some pretty high-scoring games, I think his best game obviously was against the Warriors – on the 17th of March, he had 36 points, 14 for 23 from the field, six rebounds, four assists. Everything else has been, you know, missed 10-plus shots. Um, his last three games, he's been 0 for, 0 for 9 from three. He hasn't really shot the three ball well at all this year. He's shooting 25%, um, 41% from the field. I'm not buying it. I'm just thinking that, you know, he's on a team that's bad. You know, they need people to take those shots, and Josh Jackson has not hesitated, and he will continue to chuck it whether or not it's going in. And you know who? Maybe next year with a more a, a better team around him, better talent, he can find his spot and, and and play to that and be a little more efficient. But right now, it's just a chucker on a bad team, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I I think for this question, it kind of depends on you know what we're trying to buy here. Like, so it was, I looked this up, Jackson. Since the all-star break is averaging 16.6 points, 5.9 rebounds, 2.4 assists, 1.4 steals per game on 50.2 true shooting percentage, we're which just is, which is pretty bad. 50.2 is is, is bad. Uh, it's below average significantly. Um, so you look at it, it's like, do I buy that he could conceivably average, you know, around 16 points, six rebounds, two assists, and a steal and a half per game for his career? Could he be that guy? You know, year to year, I could see it, and I think that. I think that it's going to come in a very ugly manner. And I think that, you know, when and, you know, if the Suns ever get competitive and actually get other, you know, good players in, in their system um, that are going to demand more shots and, and, and that are better offensively than Jackson. I, I think that the scoring will will come down significantly. But if that doesn't happen and they continue to just, you know, use their draft picks to, to kind of improve and see what happens with, you know, Jackson, Devin Booker, the upcoming draft pick, I could see Jackson putting up similar numbers. I mean, you mentioned he still can't hit threes. He's hitting 22.2% since the all-star break, which is just abysmal. Um, but he is cutting them out of his so- shot selection more and he's being a little bit more aggressive, getting, you know, better looks for himself he's he's shooting his three-point attempts are way down post Star break than they were you know before the all-star break which is nice to know that he is uh cognitive of where he's not good on the floor and is being more aggressive to try and get to the rim trying to get more comfortable shots for him It's interesting with Jackson because I think that he was drafted primarily because of his defensive potential. And I think that it's been good in moments. You know, there have been moments where I saw him, you know, guard James Harden very well um, and frustrate Harden. But it's hard to evaluate his defense overall on such a bad Suns team. And, you know, that's the case whenever you're evaluating any young player on a really bad team. It's like, what do you buy? What is just him getting so many opportunities? You know, when, you know, it depends what game you watch. He could look great defensively one night and then, you know, terrible defensively the next night. But I do think that, I can buy this recent stretch and it's really not even a stretch. I mean, it's since the All-Star break, which is a significant amount of time. Um, I think I can buy his his recent stretch enough and believe that he can be a solid starter in the league if I think it's going to have to come at the power forward position because of his bad shooting. I think that in, in today's game, if you have if you have your small forward shooting, you know, 20% from 3 and <clears> and <throat> you don't have an elite shooting power forward and or center your your floor spacing is going to be so cramped that I think that Jackson if he can put on a little bit more weight get a little bit stronger he has the height and the size and the wingspan he could play a power forward and there his shooting isn't that big of a deal and hopefully his defense can you know match up with a lot of the power forwards but then again in today's game a lot of the power forwards are undersized now at this point so you know mm-hmm. I think that I can buy his recent stretch and believe that he'll be a solid starter in the league maybe not putting up you know that good of, you know, 16 points per game. But I could see him, you know, putting up 12 or 13 points, six rebounds a game, getting over a steal per game, getting a couple assists here or there, being an inefficient player. I don't think he'll ever become an inefficient scorer just because of his poor shooting and he doesn't have great touch around the rim. But I think I can buy his stretch, his stretch enough to, be, to realize and think that he'll become a solid starter in the league, probably at the power forward position.
1: I get that. I really wish Phoenix had made that trade to get Kyrie and, and sent Josh Jackson back. Not only because... You would have Kyrie, but also I'm looking at the Suns team, and there's a lot of issues I have. Obviously, we don't really have a lot of time to go into it, but you have Josh Jackson, and you you talked about what you project him to be, you know, the points not really being a good shooter, but maybe moving him to the power forward, but then you look at your small forward and he's like "Uh, uh, 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 a better, I don't know, better touch around the rim, more craft around the basket, but essentially another josh jackson and tj warren in the sense that he's way better from the field a great mid-range shooter attacks the basket relentlessly but also shooting 22 percent from three for the year 28 percent from three for his career you know just can't sniff outside and and those are your two wing players you know what i mean so outside of devin booker and if you re-sign up for payton which i'm thinking that the Suns would do uh, out of your top four players you get what maybe four threes whatever devin Booker's is giving you and dragon bender who can shoot from up top if you put him at center, but barely wants to shoot. Like, every time he gets the ball, he's he's the most reluctant shooter on the Suns team that needs shooting, and he actually can shoot. But I digress, man. I'm sorry about that. I had to put that out there. No,
0: yeah, it is interesting. The Suns have pieces that don't really seem to fit at this point, and their upcoming draft pick will be very... Big and important for the franchise because they have to get they have to really nail this draft pick. Um, I, I like TJ Warren in a vacuum, I like Josh Jackson in a vacuum, I like Devin Booker in a vacuum, but they all have serious flaws that when you put them all together, doesn't create a recipe where you see a contending team. But let's not spend too much time on the Suns, but let's move on to uh the next question. <laughs> it's it's a combo question. I think the first, I think may, both might have been asked by Tom Island, but I think certainly yeah. the first one was. But the questions are. How worried should Spurs fans be about Kawhi? And uh, is there any possibility that Kawhi isn't a Spur next year? So, um, my, you know, this situation is so weird. It, it's between this and Mark Fultz's injury, it, it, the weirdest storylines that have been going on. Um, on the one hand, I think that Spurs fans should be fairly worried. I think that the injury has clearly taken a toll on Kawhi both physically and mentally, and I think that the media coverage hasn't done him or the team any favors. You know, the media coverage is is painting him in a weird kind of somewhat negative light that I don't think people are talking about enough that this is a top five player that, according to some reports, has been cleared by doctors um, to come back and play. And his teammates have kind of urged him to come back and play Per some reports, so some people said that these reports weren't accurate, but the reports are out there, and and you know, Waj is one of the most respected sources. So it's it's a weird situation where you know if that's true and he's healthy and um, his teammates have asked him to come back to play, but he's just not like mentally ready to come back to play. It, it, it's kind of a bad look for Kawhi in some sense. I think that you know, physically and mentally he's been worn out by this injury, and this injury is a weird one. I mean, there have been reports on it that it's something that you know can't. Fully get a hundred percent ever again. Like it's just gonna have to take some serious time to heal and recuperate, you know, over time in, in, in the upcoming season. So I think that's another concern physically for Kawhi, you know. But uh, I think that the Spurs are if there's a, if there's ever one organization I can trust to kind of change the course with their star player, it's the Spurs. I mean, they did it this past summer. You know, Popovich, you know, came out and said that LaMarcus Aldridge asked for a trade in the summer. Pop sat down with him, said, I'm going to use you better, and now look at Aldridge. He's having an all-NBA type season, you know, all-star level season. He's been absolutely absurd for them, carrying them for their playoff spot right now. Um, I think that Popovich can do a similar thing with Kawhi and kind of resolve or figure out the situation and kind of get these two parties back together on the same page to move forward in this relationship as they enter a serious summer where they can offer him that Supermax contract extension. So I think that You know, while you physically wonder if Kawhi will ever return to his previous, you know, top three MVP, you know, Defensive Player of the Year form, or if he'll maybe slip a little and never get back to that peak form where he was a consensus, you know, top three player, top five player at worst in the league— that's a concern if he can't get back to that level, especially for the Spurs, who haven't seen him play pretty much all year. Are they going to be prepared to offer him that Supermax extension just on the fact of what they've seen before? Do they even know what his, really, what his health situation really is? Where is he mentally? I think there's a lot to be resolved this offseason, but I think that if there's a team that can resolve it, it's the Spurs with Greg Popovich. So I think that there's a little bit of concern here, um, and fine, there's there's a there is a possibility he leaves, but I think it's going to be hard for him to turn down that Supermax if the Spurs offer it, and I think that Leonard strikes me as that player that wants to stay with the Spurs, wants to stay with one team, be loyal, um, and be the next great in their organization. So I think that the biggest concern for me, or the biggest worry, is just Kawhi physically and mentally moving forward in his career.
1: Right there with you. And, and because of his demeanor and, and how he keeps things close to the vest, and you know, Basically, even Manu Ginobili and Tony Parker both said, hey, we, we haven't heard much about it. Although, I'm not going to lie. Some of the comments I heard from Tony Parker were concerning, and Manu as well, but Manu had more of a, a general look about, oh, hey, well, we don't know, but you know, we want him back. You know, kind of just being diplomatic about it. Where Tony Parker, you know, comparing his injury to Kawhi, although I feel some of that was maybe, I haven't looked at the video, so I think some of that may have been more of a, a setup, you know, from the media just asking question, skewed that way, and he just went with it. Some of it I thought, you know, could be a little more concerning as far as how his teammates are perceiving him and how what that means going forward. But you know, put that in the vacuum. Tony Parker and know, they won't even be there in three years, so mm-hmm. I'm okay. Um, I'm right there with you. Supermax, big deal. <laughs> you, it's gonna be kind of hard to turn that down. Also, if the, if anyone could do it, like you said, the Spurs. They did with LaMarcus Aldridge, who I feel is a lot more of a let's say personality than Kawhi is, and and he's been playing his best ball. And even Coach Pop said he's had a lot of heart. This whole year, you know, helping his team out, scoring 45 in the last game, all of that. So I'm right there with you. Not really allowed lot to say on that end. I do have a good question here I'd like to throw out to you from my, my man here, Rafael Torres. Shout out to you, man. Who would you rather build a team around? Paul George and Jimmy Butler. And I thought this was a tough one. I grappled with it. I really want to hear your answer
0: yeah this was this is really one of the tougher ones besides i think this and the first one i mean these comparison questions are so hard to answer but uh mm-hmm. i think ultimately i will go with jimmy butler as <gasps> it's <Sorry>. because <laughs> it, it's because i view him as more of a number one option than, than paul george who i think to me seems to be best suited as a, as a really really good number two option and you know there there are There are pluses and minuses about both players. So, George has been better defensively this season. I think that's mainly a result of his decreased offensive role from his time in Indiana. You know, we saw in in last season with the Pacers, he just wasn't as good defensively because he had to carry a huge burden for them. And even the year before that, just that huge offensive role in terms of scoring, creating something else for others, and trying to still be a good defensive player, it it wore him out. And you see that now. Reduced offensive role. Um, He's been great defensively. You know, he's been in the conversation for defensive player of the year for most of the season though he's probably not gonna win the award. All defensive team he's been in that conversation. Um it's been nice to see him have a bounce back year on that end of floor where he really earned his reputation early on in his career. And then also he's he's a better shooter than than Butler. He's hitting over forty percent of his threes this season. But I think that we have enough of a sample size to see that I think Jimmy Butler can overall carry a team more. And I think that he you know this season he's you know he boasts better traditional and advanced stats. If you look at almost anything, you know, P E R, win shares Box plus minus, the true shooting percentage for efficiency, uh, you know, value over replacement player. Butler has been better than George in all of those metrics, despite, you know, being injured recently and having not played as much as George. He's been really good and having a really underrated season for the Timberwolves. And we've seen him, you know, have those seasons with the Bulls where, you know, he's carried them pretty far. Um, obviously, he's you know, been kind of worn down by Tom Thibodeau, which, again, if we're choosing... Right now, if we're choosing, like, if you're telling me right now I get one of those players and move forward with their career moving forward, that makes it a tougher question for to me because due to Butler's injuries um, and just his general wear and tear of playing so much under Tom Thibodeau uh, and the fact that Paul George is also a year younger, that makes me a little bit hesitant to choose Butler. But I think that if you're going to tell me, you know, you're going to choose one of these players and build a team around them and see where you go, I think Jimmy Butler is that number one guy that I want, while Paul George, I think to me, is just better suited as a really good number two option because he can provide more defense that way and and provide more floor spacing as an off-ball shooter, which Jimmy Butler can't really do because he needs the ball in his hands to be at his most effective. So because of that, Butler's ability to kind of carry a team more, in in my opinion, and what the stats have said this season and in recent seasons, I'm going with Jimmy Butler in a a really, really close choice.
1: I I was shocked, and and I still want to go Paul George, but my reasons are a lot less direct and linear as yours in the sense that I just thought, hey, he's a younger and a better shooter. <laughs> that was that <laughs> was the two that was the two points I had for me because you did have it right, Jimmy Butler. A more, I mean, this year Paul George been a better defender, but oh, I think Jimmy Butler, over the course of his career, has been a stronger defender. Um, he's he's obviously not only taken the responsibility as as a as a head dog for the Timberwolves, which I like saying. That, I'm sorry, but not yeah. only he's taking that responsibility, but he's also Lived out to he's played really well. He he's carried that team. He is he is their leader. Where if you switch places with Butler and put in Paul George, I agree with you now that he would not be that type of player. Going into the season, I thought, hey, this is a chance for Paul George to be OKC's Kevin Durant in the sense of and it was kind of arbitrary, but same kind of wing player, you know, match with Russell and talent, you know, top two lead them, all that good stuff. But looking at it now, He is more, and 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 that's been almost a damning with faint praise. He's he's been a great Robin to Westbrook's Batman, and that depends on how you feel about Westbrook being the Batman. But that that's he he slotted more in a complimentary role than Jimmy Butler, and that's just kind of where it's at. I'm still gonna go Paul George because, like I said, if we're going from now through the rest of their year, through the rest of it, I do think that Paul George definitely can go off for a lot more prolific shooting nights. And I like him as a defender as long as he has someone like he did with Andre Roberson who could take some of the load off. But I, I, I do trust him to keep both ends of the floor, you know, to show up on both ends. But you pretty much run all over. Jimmy Butler pretty much takes the cake on all of that. And, and looking at it, I have to agree. And what's funny is that – oh, sorry.
0: No, go ahead. They are,
1: they are shockingly close when you're looking at their numbers from the field from three and from free throw percentage. They they are really close if you look at their season averages.
0: Yeah, I mean, and, and I just pulled up their career averages, and, you know, Paul George has, you know, had an extra year than Butler. He's played about like 60 or so more games than him. But mm-hmm. even their, you know, overall career averages are very similar. And, you know, it's overall, it, it is crazy. That, that's why they get compared so much because they have similar play types. Um, kind of 3 and D wings that are kind of have become stars in this league Um, though mostly earned their reputation primarily on the defensive end and then grew to be offensive stars or in some cases superstars Um, but yeah you know just looking at their overall careers I mean Butler has a better PER for his career, higher true shooting percentage, more win shares um, higher win shares per 48 minutes, higher box plus minus Um, you know George beats him in value over replacement player, George beats him in scoring average, gets more rebounds per game gets more steals per game, shoots better from three um overall efficiency they're very close um but i think that butler's ability to carry a team as a number one option um again we haven't really seen butler you know what if butler had a coach who manages minutes more so that he could be more productive on a minute by minute basis instead of playing 37 minutes per game or 38 what if he played 35 what if butler had a a capable efficient offensive option to take some of that scoring load off of him um, you know If you know, Andrew Wiggins has been very disappointing in that way, Carl Anthony Towns has been kind of weird because they don't really give him shots as much as they should have. Um, because Wiggins seems to think that he's a number two option. Um, (laughs) but what if Butler had a a really, you know, capable offensive option to take a little bit more of the offensive load off him? I think that we would see more kind of all defensive uh, team Butler on a more regular basis. Now, I think that with that increased offensive burden, you don't see it as much from him. So, there are so many things that. Change the perception around these two players, but I think that overall, with the, with the career uh, evidence that we have, um, you know, both from the previous, you know, six or seven seasons, and then also this season, even though Butler's hurt now, I think I'd still go with Butler. But it's very close, and it kind of depends on what team you have. And you know, if you're, if we're picking from here on out, it'd be really hard for me to choose because of Butler's injuries and Paul George is a year younger. But right now, I'm still gonna stick with with Butler in a in a nail biter decision right there. Okay. All right. Uh, wow. I mean, listen. We went from one hard question to another one. Oh but, my god. <laughs> uh, Alex. Alex, rest again is back, uh, giving us the hard, uh, the the hard questions here. Let's let's get to this one. If you were starting an NBA franchise today, would you rather have Kristaps Porzingis, Giannis, or Anthony Davis? I'm gonna let you take a first crack at this one.
1: Oh my goodness. I, I've been looking at this question pretty much all day, and I still don't know who I would pick, and it's frustrating. Um, ugh, I, I, I tell you, I've looked at it several times. I feel Giannis would be the easiest to build around because, in my opinion, he's more consistent than Anthony Davis or Christophe, Um, or Kristoff's business, even though Anthony Davis can go off very crazy. He'll have those 26 and 14 nights and then give you, like, a 12 and 9 or a 12 and 11. You know, a, a pretty mediocre game by his standards after the night before. The variance it varies, like you said, from night to night with Davis. And although I like Kristaps, I'm still trying to get a feel for his game and whether I think he plays better at center. But then if he does, you know, his his strength to the basket, you know, having that back-to-the-basket game isn't exactly there. He just likes to shoot over people. And he's really good at that. But, you know, adding more to be that, that centerpiece, can he do that? Whereas with Giannis, I know if we bring in shooters and you have the floor spread for him – and, and some cable defenders, you can go far with him. I mean, look at the team he has around him right now and what he's doing. And only being 23, ugh, I man, I'm telling you, I don't know. Um, I'm 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 gonna go. I'm gonna go Giannis, just because there's so much more room to grow. And even though Kristaps is younger, I, I see him. I see him capping out as, like, a very, very good – I wouldn't – the logical one is to compare him to Dirk all the time. But I see him becoming a very good shooter. Obviously, he is a good shooter already, but being, like, a star shooter for his team. You know what I mean? Great on the defensive end, but I still have a lot of questions as far as durability is concerned. Um, will he get more offensive more, – more more, of a dynamic offensively other than just turning around and shooting and, and maybe more of a of a post-up game? Am I sold on him being more of a banger type? You know what 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 position he's going to be, where is he best with? I'm not quite certain. Where I can kind of see that with Giannis and Anthony Davis. In my opinion, you bring in DeMarcus and you have shooters around him, then he will thrive. But to me, he's also more. I wouldn't call him a centerpiece. You know, I think he's more like we were just talked about Paul George. I think he's in that area where he is a really, really, really good second banana. But do you want to go in and say, here, Anthony Davis? Here's the team built around him. I wouldn't have a problem if you did, but would I want that? So I'm going to go, Giannis, you're going to take these same points and make a, a lot more of a cohesive argument, and I, I'm ready for it. So. <laughs> yeah.
0: so right off the bat, I quickly, quickly eliminated Porzingis from this discussion. I think that because of the injuries – And the inconsistent play that he's had over the courses of his two to three seasons, um, I, I think that he just hasn't proven it enough on a consistent basis. You know, he gets banged up. He gets banged up here or there. The ACL injury is really interesting. You know, he's young. Obviously, he can come back from it. But it'll be interesting to see how he recovers. You know, Jabari Parker obviously has had two. but And Jabari Parker came back from the first one very well. But we'll have to see how Przingis comes back from that as that big man who, again, a lot of people think that his best position could be center due to his unique you know, a, athletic abilities and his ability to shoot from three and the fact that maybe he doesn't have to be as physical there. Because um, he, he, the physicality can, can overwhelm him from times. And you mentioned that he, he doesn't really sometimes be interested in backing down to the post he likes to shoot over players and you know he's always been this player that starts off the season really well he plays great in october november december once the season kind of gets into its full stretch you know 40 50 games he starts wearing down a little bit that we've seen that in almost every season he's had in the league so far you factor that with the inconsistent play and the injuries i eliminated him pretty quickly from the discussion i just don't think that because of those factors and the fact that i just don't see him being the number one you know top five player potential well it comes down to Giannis and AD for me. You really can't go wrong with either, and it's interesting because Anthony Davis is only one year older than Giannis. It's not a huge difference, even though he's, it felt like he, it feels like he's like three it years older, than him. but it's he's not. Right? It's only one year. It's actually very surprising. Crazy. And in terms of durability, both have actually played the same amount of games this year. Um, so Davis has kind of slowly gotten rid of that those durability concerns that we've had in previous seasons, and. I think that this season, overall, Anthony Davis has been better. Um, you know, he's. I think he's, he'll probably, he would be higher on my MVP ballot if I had one right now than Giannis. Um, you know, even the advanced metrics, uh, you know, win shares, PER, etc. The traditional stats overall are, are, I think, a little bit stronger for Anthony Davis. The way he's carried this Pelicans team after Boogie going down is also a huge thing for his season and how impressive it's been. But I think that Despite that, I think Giannis still has more overall potential as the future best player in the league. Like, I feel comfortable saying that Giannis could be the the best player in the league in 4 years. You know, I, I or 3 or 4 years. You know, when he's hitting his prime, when he's hitting 26, 27, I feel comfortable in saying he'll be the best player in the league. I don't feel as comfortable saying that about Anthony Davis. Maybe it's because he needs a guard really you know most of the time to get him the ball or maybe the time maybe it's because as you mentioned he can be hit or miss sometimes one night he's going off for 40 and 10 the next night he's going off for 15 and 9 like you know that, that inconsistency you don't really see that much from Giannis or other star players for that matter um so i think that because of that and you know Giannis can't shoot well yet but i think that despite you know even if Giannis doesn't become a greater than average three point shooter even if he only you know works his way up to becoming a 30% three point shooter i still think he can become at the very least, a top two or top three player, but I still think I'm comfortable in saying that he'll be the best player in the league in three to four years. And because I can say that for Giannis, and I can't comfortably say it for Anthony Davis, I think right now I would choose Giannis and then i have Anthony Davis second and then I'd have, I'd probably have, you know, Embiid or Towns before KP at this point, but i I'd choose Giannis for this question. Yeah.
1: Okay. See, like I said, it, it was still, it was a tough one. Alex, man, you, you came with the question, <laughs> man. All of them are good, but geez louise. But, you did make that a lot more clean, just like I thought you would there. So, <laughs> thanks a lot there, Eric. Yeah. All right, so this is an interesting one here from Cameron Shiraki. With Kevin Love, Demar Derozan, and Royce White recently addressing mental health issues, what can the NBA do to help the players regarding what can, what can the NBA do to help the players regarding mental health? I, I I'm gonna swing this to you first. I, I really have very brief points about it, but I, I want to hear what you have to say about this first.
0: Yeah, so I think that I think that first the first step is not only encouraging players and coaches and whoever else is involved with the league to speak out about these issues. I think that the league just has to first embrace the discussion about it. And I think that they could even embrace this discussion even more by, you know, sharing the comments and articles and players tribune articles and and things like that on social media. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, they could even, I think, another step could be to host events with players, you know, in their communities or with the NBA community, um, doing these events. Anything more to shine more of a light on it um, and encourage and embrace the discussion about these issues, whether it be through formal events or on social media or you know, any other way they can do it. Um, providing these players and coaches and any other league members a real platform to for for them to discuss. These issues is a big step, and maybe, maybe even down the line, they can create a program for players, both current and former. You know, a program that could provide them with counselors, with advice, or a program that can connect them with other players who have dealt with similar issues in their career. Maybe you know a current player is dealing with some kind of issue, and you know they they reach out to this program and they get a counselor, they get some advice from other you know former players who have dealt with similar issues, or maybe there are other players in the league currently that they don't know who's dealing with what issues I mean did anyone really think that you know Kevin Love or DeMar DeRozan would be dealing with these issues I mean you know you look at them and like oh they're getting paid millions of dollars they're star players in their league like but, but they are dealing with issues everyone has their own issues everyone no matter how high you are in your profession or how much money you have or how much success or how big your house is you have issues you know mentally physically etc all humans so I think that you know, just taking a step back and not looking at it as, oh, this, you know, multi-million dollar star athlete is sad. Like, that's ridiculous. No, they're human beings. Of course they have the right, you know, of course they have the ability to, to be down, be depressed, um, anxiety attacks, etc. I think the NBA can embrace the discussion, host events, perhaps create a program for players, current and former, to continue this conversation, to connect them with uh, counselors and advice and get them the help that they need and want. Uh, and doing all of that will we'll just shine such a more positive light and more prominent light on the issue of mental health, which still is is in some for some ridiculous reason kind of referred to as a as a a niche topic that you should avoid talking about or you know avoid revealing if you have these issues. You, you have to reveal them. You have to get help, and the way to do that is to embrace the discussion and,
1: and create more of a discussion around these issues. Exactly. And and for me, there's I think of the All-Star Game and there was so many events that happened there, you know, before and during that I feel were unnecessary. If you take that, take out one or two of those, you know, grandstanding events, bring in a forum. Let's let's have a platform. We have, you know, some current players, some former players, some specialists on mental health, maybe get together and address it. Um, not only for the players benefit, but also for sharing with the rest of us that, hey, these are really, really legit issues and and how we can focus and 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 attack it and work on getting better each and every day having you know having an event where not only players can learn from each other and learn from specialists but also connect with the community and and have many of us who who idolize these players and look at these players as you know we call them assets and objects and, and players and everything but not as people as you mentioned and so to have that and say hey they have the exact same issues we have and this is what they do and maybe they have different ways that that they look at the problem, they attack it, that we could learn from. And if you bring in specialists to help with that as well, that'll help the players. You know, make the specialists more available to the players. Hey, when they first come in, you know, we're helping you with this, you have your agents, you have all this, but this is a number you can call. This is a hotline if you have this issue. You know, you want to share whatever struggle you may have. And having that open network, that open connection between the players and the NBA and the community as well, you you really get a feel for this. So we're not constantly desensitized to the actual personal issues that players have and aren't looking at like oh we're getting, like you said they're very ignorant you're getting paid millions of dollars so you should be fine everything should be good in your life and and we should be able to look at that and at this point especially know that that's not the case and so I think more exposure to this and even having things like they have NBA open Court you know where players get together and, and speak candidly about it just like they had a great piece I saw yesterday between Channing fry and Kevin Love where they went a little bit more in depth on that. I think things like that is good for the community. Is good for the NBA, it's good for everyone. You see a problem, you address it, and you work together and learn from that as a whole. And I, I think even if that, if that ha- if what happened now happened maybe three or four years ago, the experience of Royce Wright wouldn't have been what it has been or is, because we would have been as a community, as, as, as people more understanding of that. And that's media, that's the NBA, that's everybody.
0: Yeah, I, I really think the ultimate goal, the first step is just not seeing it as DeMar DeRozan multi-million dollar star athlete is depressed no it's it's really seeing as demar derozan a human being is depressed that's just what it is we shouldn't you know putting these people in these labels of you know viewing them as you know as you said just players just you know successful star athletes with big houses and six cars and you know all this money no they're human beings everyone has issues let's address these issues and let's solve them really and let's bring them to the forefront so other people dealing with those issues can have role models that they already probably have like you know if someone's Someone obviously idolizes Demar Derozan. A lot of people probably do in, in in Toronto, at least. And you know, him coming out as say revealing his deal his uh, issues with depression can help other people who are Demar Derozan fans who also might be depressed or have been depressed in the past. So I think we just got to bring the issues more to the forefront, and that'll help solve it out. But it's a serious issue that should be addressed even more by the league and and any sports league and really anywhere in society. But I hate to do this, but we're gonna transition back to uh, simple NBA talk. Um, but <laughs> Uh, we got a question. I'm not exactly sure who it's from. I think it's from your Facebook. But the question is, who would you have? Who would you rather have for the next three years, Clint Capella or Stephen Adams? Um, so this is a again, this is another tough one. Really, uh, these are people. These are two players who get compared a lot, not because of their style of play, but because you know the the Westbrook versus Harden debates and looking at their teams and obviously both have very young centers who have been you know emerging really quickly on the scene mainly due to their play of their star point guards um, it's tough they're they're different types of they're different type of player i think ultimately i'm going to go with steven adams but it's really close and i think the main reason is probably because of his incredible offensive rebounding and I know people would look at this and say, oh, but Clint Capella is putting up, you know, better traditional and advanced stats, like almost all the advanced stats, you know, Capella is better in than, than Adams. I know, it's crazy. And even the traditional stats too, and despite Capella playing significantly less time, you know, minutes per game than Adams too, it's impressive what Capella is doing, but, you know, Adams is also tops in the league in box outs, which is a stat that the league measures now, and he's one of, if not the most the best offensive rebounders in the game you know he's just he's just so physical on the inside I um, mean even then we saw in that playoff series Adams was a little bit too physical for Capella in last year's first round which is why the Rockets had to use a lot of Nene uh, against Adams because Nene just provides more physical and veteran presence we'll see if you know if the teams matched up this year you know, this playoffs we'll see if, if Capella you know another year up got he got a little bit stronger last offseason we'll see if it's still the case now but I, I don't want to say that Capella's success is, is only because of James Harden and, and or Chris Paul, but I think it'd be interesting to see him on a team that has, you know, <laughs> mediocre-to-average you know, creators or guards leading in the way. Um, you know, obviously, Clint Capella has made great strides on both ends. He's he's a better finisher around the rim. He can finish with layups. He's added, a, you know, somewhat of a hook shot in the post. You know, you know, once or twice a game, you'll see him do that. Um, he's been a better rim protector. He's blocking more shots. He's blocking shots. He's not doing those Dwight Howard blocks where he, he's just going for the highlight block that you know he blocks at six rows into the into the stands. You know, it's better to block it to your teammate so you can actually get on a fast break, which Capella does a lot. And the most important thing with Capella is he's just playing at a high level on a more consistent basis. You know, in previous seasons, the knock on him was that one game he's showing up for seventeen and ten, the next game he's he's putting up nine and six. But that's that's pretty much gone this year. He's playing more and he's playing more consistent uh, at a high level. Um, but the reason, again, I said Adams is incredible offensive rebounding, his more, his extreme physicality, and the other thing is I just think that Adams has more potential than is being shown in Oklahoma City. I think both of these team, both of these centers it would be interesting to see where they are in different teams because I think that Clint Capella relies a lot on having elite guards giving the ball, and, and I think Adams is a player that could actually do more in a different role. Um, but again, that's what happens when you have Russell Westbrook, Paul George, and Carmel Anthony on the same team. You're, you're going <laughs> to be, your your spotlight's going to be a little dim. Um, you're going to get
1: your six shots and like it. Exactly.
0: That's pretty much <laughs> what it is. And is. Uh, uh, we're already at the point where Adams is better than Carmelo Anthony and Adams is that third piece of that okc big three with uh westbrook and and paul george but of course the, the statistics and shot selection don't obviously agree with us um but i think it's adams and it's really really close and they're kind of different players but at the same time similar you know similar in age similar in the fact that they you know i think capella is a more vertical threat but adams is a better rebounder and more physical um it's a really tough question i think really really close choice for me but i'm going steven adams
1: I was going to say Adam's going to jump, and at first I said, you know what, this shouldn't be that hard, just, you know, <laughs> look up some stats, look up some numbers, see what we get here, and, and look at some clean-the-glass statistics over here and, and prove why is Steven Adams' clue superior? And then when you saw, when I saw the traditional advanced stats, I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Like, Capella does take it, and, and not by any close margin, which is crazy because when you watch the games, although Capella plays very well and, and is definitely making an impact on the box score, and, and, you know, just showing up with the rest of the Rockets, I feel that Steven Adams has more of an impact for the Thunder. And maybe that's just because of – and that's having more of an impact without having half of the shots, you know, because he's mostly putbacks, couple pick and rolls, maybe some dump-offs. That's kind of Adams' game. He has a really nice mid-range floater-type shot. Um, he's really improved his touch around the rim. But that's one thing I was like, wow, that's crazy that, you, that we would both go with Adams even though Capella with the stats – has that by a lot but his his hustle his physicality you know the offensive rebounding the tenacity around the glass really reliable for half of those and let me tell you half of and you know half of those passes that Westbrook gives are almost out of control 40 miles per hour here's the ball and then you take it you hold on you finish it or you're gonna hear something and that's kind of what it was for his first three years in the league and he's really you know after playing with someone like Westbrook for a while I'm sure you get that that sense, okay, here's the pass where it's at. You know, let me convert it here. Let me get that floater off just before the big that was collapsing comes up closer to close off that shot. But he's really grab- had an adaptness to that, adeptness. And his hands are, are, are among the best as, as a big, in my opinion. And also, in loose balls recovered per game, um, he's right up there actually sitting up in third just behind Russell Westbrook and Paul George at um, two points what 2.1 I think yeah 2.1 or 3.3 one of those numbers I have to look up to remember but I know that he's also third in screen assists per game which is kind of crazy that we're even talking about that and of course 11.3 box outs per game which is also first I just think that his he has a lot more room I think to grow on the offensive end I'd actually like to see both of these players put on a team like Dallas perhaps and seeing how they would play in that role you know maybe match them up with I, want, I don't want to say a Dirk, but, you know, you have, like, a, a floor spacing for, give them some room and see what they would do, you know, as far as, or any real coach that has, like, a pick-and-roll attack or more of a featured role for their centers that don't involve, you know, just the scraps or just the designed alley-oops, you know, and see where they would develop on the offensive end. But I personally like Adams there more. I think Capella's good. Capella's a little bit younger, but moving forward. Adams is
0: my guy, man. He's a beast. Yeah, it, Adams is one of those players where it's like you—you you look at the numbers, it's like it's nice, but then you watch the game, and he's like, my goodness, like he—you just know when Adams is there, he makes such a big presence on the game, mainly due to his physicality and his and his rebounding. And it, it, again, you mentioned the box outs. I mean, he leads the league in box outs per game, which you mentioned, but he's not even the leading rebounder on his own team. Uh, so <laughs> that's it's crazy. Just, it's you know, I mean, think about it. it I mean. It, it, it's Westbrook getting the rebounds is good for the Thunder offense because it lets them get into their fast break a little bit quicker. But there is a way where if Westbrook doesn't get all those rebounds, Adams is the one averaging like 12 rebounds per game. And then you're like, oh my god, like that would stand out. You know, him averaging <laughs> only him averaging only uh, nine rebounds per game compared to Clinkapella's Kl- 11 – Adams could certainly be averaging 12 rebounds per game if he wanted to. And, again, the final thing about his rebounding, he actually leads the league in contested rebound percentage at 54.9%. So he grabs the boards when he wants to, and his box outs are extremely valuable for the for Westbrook and the Thunder. So, again, his presence, he's all about winning, and not that Capella isn't by any means, but he just <laughs> doesn't care at all about the stats, obviously, you know, which is evident by his leading the league in box outs, but not even being the leading rebounder on his own team. So I think that there's growth for Adam. Adams that could come, maybe if Melo leaves in the offseason or Paul George leaves, give him a little bit of a bigger role. We'll see what happens there. But I, I, I am agreeing with you. I think it's Steve Adams in a close margin, of course.
1: I know. And, and as an NBA fan, aren't we just blessed to have these two young guns here at, at center that we can watch grow and develop? And, you know, who knows where we'll be talking about this in a year or two. Exactly. So that's great. All right. We're going to run through one of these here is by Chris Davis. Going to give this to you, Eric, real quick. But while Portland is closing in on a three seed, are they a product of an injury plagued season, or could they actually be a three seed with the healthy Kawhi or Butler on their respective teams?
0: So I think right away, if Kawhi was healthy this season, the Spurs would be the three seed. I mean, they're, they're, <laughs> on, they're only 1.5. Or at last, maybe maybe two games now, or, or uh, I think I haven't checked the standings before the, today's games. But uh, I think they're about I think they're two point five games back of the three seed, which is Portland right now, without Kawhi Leonard the entire pretty much the entire year. So you imagine if Kawhi Leonard was back, you know that, that's a top five player if he's you know healthy. Um, and we and, and the question is assuming a healthy Kawhi, which is important in this because a healthy Kawhi is a top five player, you know, top three MVP candidate a guy who's worth, like, an extra 10 wins, maybe. Like, the Spurs would be the 3-seed if Kawhi was healthy. But I think that the Blazers would very likely be the 4-seed, maybe the fifth seed because they've just simply been incredible since the All-Star break. I mean, let's not discredit this. Lillard obviously hasn't inserted himself in the top-5 MVP conversation. He'll probably finish in the top-5 of voting at the end of the year. The Blazers' defense has been elite for pretty much the entire season, and now their offense is kicking it into gear with Lillard and CJ McCollum getting hot right on time for the playoffs you know with seeding in the West, it's kind of hit or miss because this, it's so close. Like, there's like, what, one game or two games that separates like five from nine or something like that. So, <laughs> obviously, you know, they could finish anywhere from four to seven, but realistically be an elite team, just kind of lose out by a tiebreaker or something like that. So, the seeding is not as important in this question. But let's give Portland a lot of credit for what they've done. I don't think that they'd be the three seed if the Spurs were fully healthy with Kawhi, but very likely that they'd be a four seed or fifth seed because of how good Lillard's been and how good their defense has been um, and their role players like Harkless and, and Camino have stepped up recently, and Yusuf Nurkic has been really good for them defensively. Um, and then you know you got Lillard and McCollum leading the way as Lillard is an MVP cam, uh, candidate, and McCollum's just a always steady, uh, great off secondary offensive option. So let's give Portland a lot of credit. I don't think they'd be the three seed if it was a healthy Kawhi season. But I think they'd still be ahead of you know I think they could still be ahead of the Timberwolves um, if Butler was healthy. But again. The the Wolves are weird with Andrew Wiggins, and that's a whole other mess that that, that could, I could oh, spend. God. I could spend 20 minutes on that, but my answer is I think the Blazers would probably be the fourth or fifth seed if everyone was healthy.
1: Right there with you, man. You want to go some, with some quick hitters?
0: Yeah, let, let, let's do some quick hitters. Uh, we'll, Each one of us will kind of grab you know maybe one or two of these. Not all of them, I don't think, because we're already past the uh, hour mark here, but... Let's let's get this quick question. I think it was also from Justin Carter. Um, what are the expectations for Houston in the playoffs? Do they change if Steph is out for a significant period of time? Should it be Joe Johnson or Gerald Green in the playoff rotation? So that's pretty much three questions. I'll answer them pretty quickly. I think that right now, if both teams are healthy, Warriors and Rockets, the expectations for the Rockets are to make the conference finals and, and push the Warriors to six or seven games. That's if both teams are healthy. If the Warriors are not healthy, if they're less than 100% for the Western Conference Finals, I think the expectations for the Rockets, a team that is on pace probably to win you know, 65, 66 games, if the Warriors aren't healthy, expectations probably increase to making the finals. And if they're going to make the finals, they'd probably be the favorite to win that series, but that's a whole other thing. But if the Warriors aren't healthy, I think the expectations shift a little bit more to a finals appearance. And then the final question is, Green should definitely be in the playoff rotation over Joe Johnson, but even Green should not be playing many minutes. I think that the playoff rotation for the Rockets should be Chris Paul, James Harden, Trevor Ariza, PJ Tucker, Clint Capella, you're starting five, off the bench, Eric Gordon, Ryan Anderson, Luke Mabamute, and Nene for certain stretches. And then if you need a scoring boost or punch, you can insert Gerald Green here or there. But you wouldn't want to play Green 15 minutes a night in the playoffs because, first of all, I already named a nine- players in your playoff rotation before even getting to green who are all better than him or, or more important for him more important than him so i think green should be ahead of johnson but johnson should be receiving little to no playing time and green should only be playing if the rockets need a scoring boost or punch i think that they're nine deep even without Gerald green to make enough
1: of a deep playoff run without him all right sounds good i'm gonna get to the next one real quick what nba team do you want to see coach Fisdo with next shout out to Corey. From Facebook. Also, all these questions we get from Facebook are from my man Corey, so you know who you are, man. (laughs) All right. Um, I'm going to say the Phoenix Suns. I was thinking about this, and I thought, hey, a young team that he can really get down on like in Memphis, put his imprint on the team, and build the culture and foundation moving forward. So I thought Chicago Bulls, I thought Denver Nuggets, and Phoenix Suns. Three teams that it's safe to say the coaching change might be one that could happen come the offseason but I love for Phoenix only because of how young all their players are and they haven't really had a coach that they've been with for more than a year or so whereas Malone in Denver has been there for a couple of years so not that that would be a big issue but you have these players who really need someone to get under as a coach and to really set that standard I'm looking at a young star in Devin Booker Josh Jackson and Marquise Chris you know Everyone knows they need someone that is just going to hold them accountable, help them maybe keep their emotions in check, play with a competitive edge but within reason. Elvin Payton, if he comes back, you have a TJ Warren, Tyler Uless. You have these young players there. And and you have Jared Dudley and Tyson Chandler as veteran leaders, but, I mean, I don't know about Jared Dudley, man. I, after that Utah game, ugh. But also, as I just have a coach who his style, I think, offensively, would work with Phoenix. They have the players that I think would complement his style, and also his leadership and and ability to set the tone in the locker room and out onto the floor, I think they'd be a perfect match. I'm going to throw this last one out. If you you got something to say, let me know, because that's an interesting one.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the Suns are an interesting possibility. I just listed the Bucks because I think that Ooh, I that think that that'd be interesting. I think that he'd be a coach that could fit there, and that's a big coaching hire that they need to figure out this offseason to make sure Giannis stays happy for his remainder of his contract. But, yeah, I think it, Fizzo will be highly pursued, and there will be plenty of opportunities for him. Um, quickly, I'm going to get to this question from Facebook, which is an interesting one. Who would you rather have as a starter for your team, Reggie Jackson or Isaiah Thomas? I think it's tough, but I think <laughs> I'm going to go with Reggie Jackson. I, I don't think – I'm not sure we're going to see – isaiah thomas get anywhere close to that 2016 2017 level again i think that moving forward he looks to be best suited for a six-man role because he's going to decline athletically due to his age his defense is just horrendous and it's not his own fault really just his size is just a huge disadvantage there um and you know while reggie jackson isn't a very good defender. He has the size to be a good defender when he's engaged, um and I think that he can be a capable starting point guard if he's been healthy and when he when he's consistent and when he gets when he stays on the floor to be able to play at a consistent level and, and rate. He has been solid. Nothing spectacular. Obviously, you probably want more from him. You know, the Pistons probably want more from him when they traded for him and then signed him to that contract. But I think that because of Thomas's defense and declining athleticism due to his age, I think Thomas is about two and a half years older than Reggie Jackson. I think I'd rather have Reggie Jackson, but it's close, and we're we're kind of deciding between average to mediocre point guards at this rate. So,
1: <laughs> I was going to say two middling guards here. Honestly, with the way that Isaiah Thomas played around Boston, even though he is getting older, it gives me hope that if you get the right coach and the right team and the right structure and have him be the gun and guard, that it could have, have a high variance as far as um, success-to-failure ratio there. Whereas Reggie Jackson, I thought he had – A good setup in detroit and i mean he's had some up and down years but like you said two average guards um honestly if i was stuck between those two as my starting point guards i probably wouldn't be an executive in the nba so there's (laughs) what i have to say with that but yeah there we are man we kind of got to the end of them wow
0: yeah we finally made it you know i think we're gonna have to do more of these mailbag episodes they are just so entertaining (laughs) and i love how they get us to talk about so many different issues uh in the nba and, and interesting topics
1: it was fun, man. I say we do income free agency. You know the questions are gonna oh, come. <laughs>
0: absolutely, yeah. So, um all right, well that'll do it for this episode of the ninety four feet report nba podcast of course you can check out our website 94feetreport.com check out our youtube channel um it's just the 94 feet report. um and you can follow us on twitter at the 94 feet um speaking of which corbin will be taking over the twitter account moving forward so we're gonna have a lot of fun oh, yeah. engagement on a daily basis so definitely follow at the 94 feet report for some daily nba conversation and and some fun stuff there of course you can follow me on twitter at eric Spiros nba of course corbin you can throw out where uh, people can follow you too
1: all right at I- Corbin Ford NBA um and like Eric said I'm really excited to go over here so let's get some interaction going (laughs) yeah
0: it's gonna be fun it's gonna be fun so follow uh follow the site account follow our personal accounts check out the website check out our YouTube channel and stay tuned for our next episode of 94 feet report NBA podcast uh have a great week of watching NBA basketball take care guys